0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Jesus is in a Gentile country. How many, many, when you read this, you did what a lot of people do, you confused this miracle with the other one, the feeding of the 5,000 with the feeding of the 4,000? And I like how he gives different details so that we don't do that. He tells us, even in the passage, he references both miracles separately, doesn't he? When he talks to disciples, he talks about how he fed the 5,000 and how there were different amounts of fragments uh, there. There's some other differences that are here that are in the passage that we may overlook. If you remember, if you were here last week, Jesus is in a region, he's, he's dealing with the Gentiles right now. He's, he's primarily in a region of Gentile people. So when he fed the 5,000, they were with him one day, and Jesus saw their spiritual need. He was ministering to them spiritually. They ran, remember, they ran ahead as he was crossing the shore. They ran ahead. They met him there in that deserted place. He made them to sit down. He asked the disciples, have you any me? Uh, so he asked that same question in both contexts, in both places, in both, both miracles, except in the first time, in Mark chapter 6, you can go back and look at it, Mark chapter 6, He's feeding Jews, in Mark chapter eight. He's feeding Gentiles. In Mark chapter six, five thousand men plus women, children. We don't know how many. In Mark chapter six, in Mark chapter eight, four thousand. The Bible says four thousand total that are there, mostly men. Uh, so four thousand that are there in total. Jesus feeds. In in Mark chapter six, uh, they had been with him just for a few moments. They had ran ahead a day's journey and they had met him there, and then they, they didn't have food where they were, and he fed them, and, but primarily he was focused on a spiritual need. Remember, he taught them first, and then he fed them. In, in Mark chapter 8, primarily focused on a physical need. He, he sees that they have a physical need. They've been with him three days, listening to him teach. How many think that that's astounding? Three days in the middle of nowhere, listening to Jesus. How many would love to have been a part of that conference? And, and by the way, there was no Hilton to go back to, <laughs> there was no glamping, you know, they didn't have their, their trailer, they didn't have any kind of uh, cool, you know, hipster way kind of to stay out in the wilderness and have it be cool and fun and still have all the stuff that you enjoy, and there, no Wi-Fi, you know, there, there was nothing like that, but yet Jesus is there speaking in the wilderness, they stay with him for three days, notice they're not there to get a miracle from him. When Jesus crosses over back into the Jewish place, the Pharisees come with him. What do they do? We want a miracle. We want to see a sign. We want to see a miracle. Those people came out, spent time with Jesus for three days, didn't ask anything of him. As a matter of fact, they were ready to go back to their home. And some of them have, the Bible said, traveled from so far that if they traveled from that place back to their homes without food, some of them might die. So they were in a position where they were in great need. Jesus, now focusing on their physical needs, looks to the disciples Remember, he looked at the disciples, they had nothing. This time he looks to the disciples, there's no little boy with his lunch. Now it's just the disciples. What do the disciples have? Seven loaves of bread and a few fishes. and what, they, They're just carrying that with them. That's all they have. He looks to the disciples to give what they have. He wants the disciples now to meet the needs of the people. He wants them to give up all the food they have to feed the people, and they have nothing. They've got nothing left over. So he's looking to them to sacrifice. He's looking to them to give to the needs of the people. So there's some differences that are here that involve these two huge crowds and these different things. The other thing that's interesting about this, and I'll move on, is the fragments that are taken over. In one, there's 12 baskets, and the Bible uses a word that means a small carob, like a little basket that you would carry. There's 12 fragments or baskets full, enough for each individual disciple. So each individual disciple would have had their needs also met in that process and would have been, had a, a basket to take with them, and they took those 12 left over. In this case, what happens? There's seven, but the word that the Bible uses here means a basket the size of what we would look as like a laundry hamper that you could fit a human being in. So a basket too big to carry. A basket, a basket so large uh, that they would have had so much fragments left over, and it was not for the disciples, it was for the people. It was for them to be able to take with them on their journey, which is an amazing thing when you think about this. And so we see uh, here uh, the the multitudes and their need, and we see the master and his compassion. Look at verse number two. Jesus saw the crowds. He knew their need. And these people had been with him three days. And he says, I have compassion on them. That means his heart goes out out to them. How many... um, how many of the, the problem in your life is is that you lack compassion? In other words, you see a need, but you don't feel moved to do anything about it. How many know that a lot of times what we are in our culture used to doing is we are used to being moved about things that are fantasy, and we are not used to being moved to do take action over things that are real? You with me? We are, we are moved to emotion. You see people cry in movie theaters in fantasy stories, and you see people seeing real needs and have no tears. You with me? That's our culture today. Our culture pays thousands of dollars to go to to fake places that are created by people, fake environments. You go to Disney World, and they've got all these different fake environments, and people are so enamored with these fake environments. And there are real countries with real people that are beautiful and nobody cares about, nobody even thinks about. We would rather be entertained by fantasy and have our emotions tickled by fantasy than we would about seeing real needs and real people because it's about us being, our needs being met, our desires being met, instead of us being moved to take action. How many know that compassion is when I have empathy that moves me to take action? When I have empathy, spiritual empathy, Jesus had compassion on us, didn't he? The Bible says having compassion making a difference. What is compassion? It's empathy that God puts in my heart about someone's need when it moves me to take an action about what I see. How many know we need more of that in the world? We need more of that in the church. In other words, sometimes there are people, listen, there are people today in the service that I know of. You may not know of. There are people in the service right now, today, that need compassion. In other words, they need you to come alongside of them. And, and by the way, you know what that means? That means you're going to have to get yourself in a position to see a need. But how many know that sometimes the church gatherings are all about positioning ourselves not to see needs? Because we would rather just quickly come in. quick. That, you, know, you know, that's why I say come to church on time, come early, fellowship with people. Because you're never going to know people's real needs if you don't talk to them. You're not going to know someone's need unless you get alongside of them. You, you fellowship with them, you talk to them, pray with them. Hey, we're in this as a, as a body of Christ to be a family, not to be a function. We are in this in the body of Christ uh, to not just have an experience, not just have an event, because so many people, they want their emotions. They want their emotions. Hey, hey, give me an emotional experience. And that's all I want from the body of Christ. That's all I want from the church. Whatever happens on the performance, whatever happens on the platform, I want to have some kind of emotional experience. But the truth about spiritual empathy is that it will move me to take some actions. We need church. Are you agreeing with me today? The church needs to wake up. I don't just mean our church. I mean the church of the body of Christ in the world. The church needs to wake up. We have things that are happening in the world around us that we are silent about, that we don't have a voice because we're afraid. We're afraid of what's going to come to us if we, if we voice the truth. And, and maybe that means persecution. Listen, if you don't want criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. But if, you, if, if you're going to do something, if you're going to say something, if you're going to be something, you got to be prepared for the criticism that comes, and you got to be prepared to stand. And listen, let's be honest. We have lost our backbone, church. We, we, we are losing the, the, the battle. We are losing the battle for the souls of men, by the way, are we in a battle for the souls of mankind? Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? No, no, no. But against principalities and powers. You, be, you better be awake today, church, because there's a real spiritual warfare going around us for the souls of mankind, and we're not engaged in it because we're too busy or we're too distracted. And we cannot afford, this generation cannot afford to have a sleeping church. Are you with me? This generation cannot afford to have a complacent church. Complacency is a natural response of, of human beings. It doesn't take anything in your life to become complacent. All you have to do is do nothing. You're complacent. But we, we, this is a book of action. This is a book of compassion. This is a book that says, hey, listen, have the heart that Jesus has. Let Jesus' love, let Jesus' love for you compel you to love other people. Because how many believe that Jesus has enough love for you that you can share it with everybody and still have enough love? You're not going to exhaust the love of God in your life by giving it out. And by the way, you're not going to, let me help you, you're not going to exhaust your physical resources by using them to the glory of God. Because some of that's what we're afraid of, right? Well, I'm going to run out if, I'm going to, we never see the blessings in the Bible until somebody who has something gives it up for God to use it. The widow at Zarephath, Elijah, give me your last meal. What in the world? Why not go to a rich person? Are you with me? Why not go to a rich person? Because God doesn't choose people who don't sacrifice to do miracles through. God does miracles through sacrifice. God does miracles when it costs us something. He doesn't want something that doesn't cost us anything. He doesn't want us to continue to pat ourselves and and keep ourselves. Because what does he want from us, church? He wants faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I'm never in a position of faith until I'm first in a position of need. Are you with me? I'm never in a position of faith until I'm in first in a position of need. The reason why I have no faith is maybe because I have no need. Sometimes we don't put ourselves in a position of need because we don't obey God. Are you with me? In the area of giving, we're going to have offering today. In the area of giving, how many know where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? Does God command us to give? He does. How many know that you cannot love without giving? Loving costs something. And I have to put myself in a position of need. In other words, I need. That's what the the law of the first fruits and the tithe was about in the Old Testament. It was about giving God first, not giving God last. In the area of your giving, is God first or is God last? Is God first or is God last? In other words, you say, I'll give whatever I have left, or you say, no, I give God first, and then whatever's left, I trust God will sustain me with? That is faith. Faith giving is saying, I'm trusting God to meet my need. I'm giving to meet someone else's need. Are you with me? I understand it's not popular. No pastor likes preaching on it. But I'm telling you, this is the truth. And this is what Jesus is calling the disciples to. Give up what you have to meet someone else's need. I'll meet your need. But how many are amazed at the disciples' unbelief? I'm so amazed at it because they get in the boat and they're like, we only have one loaf of bread. Jesus is like, oh, my goodness. Face palm, right? Jesus is like, what in the world? How long have I been with you guys? You just saw me feed 5,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fishes. You just saw me feed 4,000 people from seven loaves that came from your baskets. Seven loaves and a few fishes. You just saw 4,000 people fed. And you're perplexed on how you're going to meet, your needs are going to be met on how you're going to be fed. Do you not understand? Isn't that how he finishes? And isn't he marveling at their unbelief? He continues to marvel at their unbelief because they continue to miss the miracle. Listen, it's sad when those who know Jesus and follow Jesus miss miracles because we are the ones that have the front row seat to it. Are you with me? This is the thing. By and large, I'm watching cars whizzing by. Nobody knows miracles are happening. Hey, listen, miracles happen every single day. We miss them though, don't we? The miracle is when God meets my need. You know, so many times we think, I don't have any needs. I don't need anything from God. What do I need God for? I don't need God to feed me. I don't need God to clothe me. I do that myself. God, help me to get vacation money. God, help me to have another car. God, help me to have more of this. God, help me to have more of that. We're not trusting God for our needs anymore. You know what we're doing? We're turning the needy to the government. Church, is a failure. Are you with me? I understand it's, it's popular. We're turning the needy to the government. Who did God give the care of the poor and the widows to? The church. Listen, if every locality, if every local church cared for the poor and the widows in their community, there would be no need for some of these systems. Because I believe that the church would be far more generous. Because it's not law. It's not right. It's, hey, it's our job. It's our job to care but we don't put ourselves in position. How many look at things that don't move you too much? Most of the time, we go home, and we want to put something on a screen so that we can veg out, so we can numb ourselves to the world, because we don't want to feel. We don't want to feel anything real. We want to feel manufactured emotion. Hey, I can get Liz up here to play a song that might move emotion, that might bring emotion. It just... It's, it's manufactured. It can, it can, how, many, how many have ever watched a movie with, on mute? No sound. How many know that it's a lot different? Soundtracks are designed to bring emotion that can pull a tear from your eye. Just the right, these, these guys, they know how to just hit the right notes in the right ways, and boy, could just, oh, you know, I feel that shudder, and I'm, I'm feeling I like I'm feeling something, but I'm not really feeling anything. We spend time looking on social media. We're looking at things that sometimes are not even real, not even really happening. We're more focused on things that aren't real, that are being told, than we are on things that are real, that are in front of us, that we need to do something about. Can I say this? This is real. The church of God is real. The word of God is real. The people of God are real. The community we live in is real. People are really dying and going to hell. That's real. And the church, our church, this generation, we cannot afford to be complacent and quiet and not active. We must be involved. So there's, there's a, the, there's the a multitudes in their needs. There's the master and the compassion. Then this is where I want to focus on today in notes. and I want to buzz through these as quickly as I can. The miracle and its lessons. What do we learn from this miracle? Jesus asks them in, in, in Mark chapter 6 verse 38. He says how many loaves have ye? In verse 5 he asks them the same questions of Mark chapter 8. And the disciples are called to give up what little they have. How many know that discipleship and following Jesus is a call to give up what little you have? No man gets life unless he gives life. No man... uh, Listen, this is sometimes what we focus on in giving. We focus more on what we lose than what we gain. How many know that we gain far more in giving than we lose? When it comes to the kingdom of God... Are you with me? When it comes to the kingdom of God... We gain far more in giving than we lose. But sometimes we're so focused on what we lose that we miss the miracle of what we gained. Was there something the disciples were meant to gain from this miracle? Was there a lesson that Jesus was teaching them? Why a Gentile mob? Why a physical need? Why three days? Why seven loaves, not five? Why few fish? Why were the differences, why were the nuances there? How many have ever had God do a miracle and he did the same thing in your life more than once? You're breathing, right? You got up today, right? You can think, you can move, you can, are we going to take, listen, one single, one second can change everything. One second. Reaction or not reaction. How many have ever had that in your life? One second changed everything. I mean, we understand the value of time down to, listen, ask an Olympic runner how the value of a millisecond is. It's a difference between winning and losing, record or not, gold or not. It's, it's the difference between everything. And sometimes we never look at time in that. that we, we just think we have so much time. We have so much life. We have so much left over. I'll do it later. I'll do it. You know, procrastinators unite tomorrow, right? We're, we're, going, to, we're going to do something Later. We're, we're going to do something, and this is, sometimes that's the church, yeah, 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 we know, we know, we know, oh pastor, it's just another Sunday, we got another one. You don't know you got another one. You don't know how long you have. You may be sitting here and you don't know Christ and you've been thinking about the gospel. you don't know if you have another day, friend, you don't know if you have another moment you say, oh, that's, you're just trying to, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to be real with you today. We don't know how long we have. We don't know how much time we have. And here's the thing, when you stand before Jesus Christ one day, will you hear, well done now, good and faithful servant. And how many are truly living for that day? Are we laying up treasure on earth where moth and dust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal? Are we laying up in treasure in heaven? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Are we seeking to build a kingdom to ourselves here? God has not called us to build a kingdom to ourselves. He's called us to invest in the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, some of us are focused. All these things, that will be added to us. We're, 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 see me, prove me now. If I'll not open up the windows and pour out a blessing on you that we won't be able to connect. God, I'm, I'm putting it in. I'm expecting it to come down. We are like the Pharisees, only coming to Jesus for what we can get and not realizing what we've already been given. Is there anything more valuable that you could be given today than eternal life in Jesus Christ. Is heaven your home? Is Jesus your Savior? Is there anything else that you could be given more valuable than that? Don't we have all things in Jesus? Are you with me, church? I know you're quiet. I know some of you are passive. Maybe you're just thinkers. You're all thinkers. I can tell. You're just thinking it through. But listen, sometimes we're just non responsive. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we're cold, we're callous, and non responsive, and we excuse it. Uh, you know, it's just my personality. God called you to worship and praise. It's not about your personality. It's about obedience. God called you to worship and praise. God called you to give. It's not about what you're predisposed to do. It's about obedience to God. It's about saying, yes, I'll do, God, what you want because I believe that you're going to supply my need. I believe that you're going to do what you say that you'll do. There are lessons. Number one, this miracle reminds us that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This miracle reminds us that Jesus is the savior of the world. Why was he now speaking to Gentiles and meeting their need? Because he wanted to remind them what he said in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you glad that Jesus is not just a Messiah to the Jews? That Jesus is the savior of the world. God's not just a Jewish God. You hear some people talk like that today. Well, oh, that's the Christian God. That's the Jewish God. That's this God. That's... No, no. There's only one God, friend. There's only one God. there's there's, There's no other gods. And there should be no other gods before him because there's only one true living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God, not just to the Jews, but the God of the world. He's a God that spoke everything to existence. And by the way, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not a lesser God, He's not a part of, He is God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the same was the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him and for Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. And light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. The Savior of the world. He showed himself up to these Gentile people who, remember the Syrophoenician woman? We're just dogs. We get the crumbs from the table. Jesus talked to that deaf man and he touched him and he wanted them to know, hey Gentiles, I'm not just a Jewish Messiah. I'm the Messiah to the whole world. I'm the one who loved the world. I'm the one who made the world. I'm the one who spoke in existence and I care for you and I care for your needs. Jesus loves us. He cares for us and he's the savior of the world. Number two, this miracle reminds us that Jesus is more than sufficient to meet the needs that exist in his people's lives. I'm sorry, number two, this miracle reminds us that he has all that we need for the journey home. That he has all that we need for the journey home. How many glad that Jesus doesn't have what we need for today? He has what we need to get home. Are you with me? He didn't just save me and leave me. He says, I'll not leave you alone. I'll send a comforter to you. He'll lead you and guide you in all truth. He will teach himself. He will not speak of himself, but he'll speak of me. He will teach you all things. And he's going to help you. He's going to guide you. He's going he's to lead you. And you need to yield to that spirit. You need to follow that spirit. And this is what he was saying to the people through the miracle, right? Hey, seven huge, huge baskets left over. Why? Because after they had their fill, they could grab stuff for the journey. They could grab, hey, the disciples apparently didn't grab anything. They didn't take from the fragments that were left over. What were those fragments for? For the people. They were for the people to grab and say, hey, we've got a long journey home, but hey, listen, even though I have for today, God has enough to supply me for my journey. We're on a journey through life, believers, and God has enough to supply you all the way. I believe, this is what I believe with all my heart, the fragments in the baskets that remained, were exactly enough to sustain everyone to get home. Nobody died. Nobody got lost. Nobody, everybody had enough food. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, there's so much that just, you know, their best. I don't know. Maybe some were carrying it just never ran out. Maybe it was like that. I have no idea. But I, I believe that every bit that was there was enough to sustain every person for their journey home. How many believe that God has enough for your journey? God has enough for your journey. Maybe today you're, you're thinking, you know, you know, God supplied before. God met the need before, but he's not, he doesn't have enough now. Listen, I can't live on yesterday's miracles. You can't live on yesterday's miracles. But we have a God that's eternal, that has enough for us every single day. How many know that he will give us this day our daily bread? Our daily bread. How many remember the lesson he taught the, um, the Israelites in the wilderness? Don't take, don't take more than for, what's for a day. Hey, anything you take over then for a day's need is going to rot. Why? Because I don't want you trusting in what's in your basket. I want you trusting the one that put it there. Is that a message we need to learn? Come on. I don't want you trusting what's in your basket. I want you trusting the one that put it there. Because you don't need need to learn self-reliance, self-dependence. You need to learn God-dependence. His hand to our mouth. Nobody can feed you like God can feed you. How many believe that? Nobody can feed you like God can feed you. Nobody can supply. You can't meet your needs like God can meet your needs. It's amazing sometimes we try to do God's job in our lives and then we don't see God at work in our lives because we're not letting Him. We're not allowing Him. We're hindering His work in our lives because we're not obeying Him. How many know that there was a distribution that needed to be given? How many know the disciples need to give up what they had? How many see the hesitancy there? you have hesitancy? Oh, another offering. Another, another time we had to get. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I just, I just, I'm going to have to, I can't have any part. You can. You can have a part. You can have a part in investing into eternity and you can express faith and believe God. Listen, prove him. Try it. You say, oh, what's the, what's the agenda? The agenda is, the agenda is what Paul said. Paul said, I don't desire a gift from you, but I desire fruit that would abound to your account. Paul said, you gave to my necessity, you gave to my need, you gave offerings. And by the way, it was more than what I needed. You gave above and beyond. You gave again and again. And here's the thing. I don't desire the gift from you. I desire the fruit that abounds to your account. You know what some, some of you I'm really jealous for? I'm jealous that you would have a part in seeing souls come to Christ through giving. Missions. Missions. Giving, reaching into our community. You've got to have a part in that. You know what I'm jealous for you, what I'm desiring for you? That you would have fruit that would abound to your account. That when you stand, because God's called me to watch for your souls as your pastor, that when you stand before the Lord, you're going to hear, well done. And and by the way, you may not even know this, but you gave and this person was saved as a result of that. You gave, hey listen, the gospel got, you know what we understand? No matter what. It takes food, it takes money, it takes resources to do ministry. Doesn't it? And it always began, Jesus who could have spoke, why didn't he just have the bread appear? Why did he show us the lesson of someone having to give what they had? Because that's how God works. He could have had the bread just appear, the fishes just appear, but what did he do? Somebody give me what you have first, and then I'll bless it and multiply it. Somebody give. Hey, the little boy gave for the feeding of 5,000. Who gave? The disciples gave what they had. Somebody give up what you have, and I'll, I'm able to bless. The widow at Zarephath. Why couldn't? Listen, is God some kind of twisted God who's, who's, trying, to, who's trying to manipulate us or try to you know, put us through some kind of a rat? You know, he's studying us like rats, and he's, he's trying to put us through all these stuff. No, no. God wants to bless us, but he works according to his word he says this, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shake it again, r- running over. Shall men to give. You you receive in accordance to how you give. That's, that's God. Hey, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man, that shall he also. If a man sows to his flesh, he shall of his flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the spirit, he shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. What's he saying? The law of sowing and reaping is a law that he's put in the DNA of the world. It's a law that he's put in the DNA of every believer when it comes to giving. I have to give for God to work. That's it. I have to give. if Church, if we want to see God work here, we have to give. That's it. And if we don't want to see God work, guess what? We could be like every other church. We can be another statistic. We can close our doors in a few years because we just can't give. We just won't sacrifice. We can close our doors. We be another statistic because we just say, yeah, it's just not, not, not my problem. Not my problem. What's our problem? It's our responsibility. It's not a, not a single one of us, but it's all of us collectively. And God has put us into the body of Christ for that purpose. And when you love money, it's hard to give, isn't it? But when you love God, it's not. When you love your stuff more than you love God, it's hard to release it. But when you love God, you know that, hey, listen, the stuff that he's put in your hands, he's done for his glory, not for your purposes, not for your glory. And by the way, you'll be much happier, much more satisfied, much more at peace by not tipping God, but giving God. Giving God what, he, what he's calling for you to give. The, the miracle reminds us that he's all that we need for the journey home. How about this? The miracle reminds us that we are a people of little faith. The miracle reminds us that we are a people of little faith. The disciples, how many times, how many times? How many times has He come through for you? How many times has He moved a mountain for you? How many times has He brought you through your valley? How many times has He come through for you when there seems to be no way through? And how many times have you doubted Him when the next trial came up in your life? O ye of little faith. O me of little faith. I've doubted him so many times. But I'm glad that his response is not contingent upon how big my faith is. Listen, I'd rather have little faith than no faith. Isn't that God teaches? Hey, listen, some of us we say, well, you know, I'm gonna have that faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, God wants great faith from us. He wants great faith from us, but if it only if it's only little faith, you you use the little faith you have. And ask God to help it grow, by the way. We should never be satisfied with little faith or no faith. Are you with me? We should never be satisfied with little faith or no faith. What does God want to produce through us? Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. There's progression there, isn't it? As you grow as a believer, there should be fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Why? Because there's little faith, faith, great faith. Are you with me? It's, it's, it's accordance to our obedience to God. My, my faith in the Lord has increased. Hey, I, Show me in Hebrews 11, somebody who God says had faith that's not connected to an action of giving in their life. Show me one person. By faith, Abraham left not knowing whither he went because he believed that God was going to bring him to a city whose builder and maker was God. Listen, by faith, Abel offered of what? What he had. He gave God what he wanted. What was Cain's problem? He gave God what, he, what God didn't ask for. He gave God what he wanted to give. I'm going to choose. I'm going to give. I'm going to do. You know, some people they say, well, at least I gave. And God says, that's not what I asked for. I want you to give what I want you to give. In obedience, in the way that I'm asking for the first fruits in your life, the best. It reminds us that we are people of little faith. How many want to have greater faith? Listen, we say Amen. But the truth of whether our faith will be increased will be shown in the actions that we take. You cannot have great faith until you have great need. You cannot have great faith until you have great need. How many have been full of faith when you had lots of needs? That's when people come, isn't it? Isn't it when people become people of faith? Christians, it's when we really... Uh, I got needs in my finances. I got needs in my family. I, it's what drives people to church. I got needs. <laughs> I got family needs. I got relational needs. I got financial needs. I got. And, and by the way, it's, it's, it's just, it's why we see so much happen in the world. Statistically, we talked about this morning, uh, the first two weeks after 9-11, the athletic fields were empty and the church houses were full. Why? Because people saw themselves in need of God. What did they do? They ran to God. But like the crowd, fickle, maybe to see something, maybe for a miracle, maybe in desperation. But isn't God good to put us in a position of needing Him? The best place that you and I can be in is in a position of needing God, isn't it? Sometimes it's a physical trial that God puts us in to remind us how much we need Him. And listen, have you ever prayed harder than when you had a need? Have you ever prayed harder than when you had a need? Have you ever read more, pursued God more than when you had a need? Ah, oh, now I, I got a need. I need something from God. I got to get in the Word. I got to get in church. I got to, and we start to pray more, and we start to read more, and we start to get more active in, and we say, maybe this does work. Maybe this is what I need, and what is God? He's a good God, isn't he? He puts us in a position of need because he wants to remind us that we need him and him alone. Because all the stuff you're trusting in, aside from God, will run out one day. Beauty fades. You say, not mine. Beauty fades. Charisma comes and goes. Personalities change. Friends come and go. Are you with me? People die. Finances, we lose them. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Listen, I don't care whether it's for your home, your personal life, your business, whatever it is. If God is not the focus of your trust you will be up and down and all around. Listen, because there's going to be dry times and there's going to be rainy seasons. There's going to be the windows of heaven are come pouring out a blessing and boy, it's good. And we're li- Make sure when you get a lot that you're like Joseph and you're saying, hey, I'm putting it in the right place. I'm, I'm, I'm laying it up in heaven where moth and dust, I'm putting it in the right place. I, I am putting it where no one can touch it, where no one can take it from me. Because one day, let's be honest, you're just going to leave a bunch of stuff for people to fight over. And I've never seen families better off for it. It's an ugly thing. As a pastor, I've been the referee for it. It's ugly. Watching siblings and watch people fight over their their parents' stuff. It's ugly. And I tell you, listen, I'd rather see it in the kingdom of God than in a place where a bunch of people are just going to be fighting over, not be better off for. This miracle reminds us that God is not a stingy God. This miracle reminds us that God is not a stingy God. How many are glad that God gives us enough and he gives us leftovers? He gives us enough and he gives us leftovers. How many have leftovers? You know what leftovers are? More than what you needed. More, More than what... Why does God give us leftovers? So we can eat tomorrow? Sometimes. But sometimes he gives us leftovers so we can invite someone to the table. So we can have people to be fed. So we can use what's there for the journey. God gives us more than what we need, doesn't he? Do you have more than what you need today? Come on, we have these. We have more than what we need, right? Is this a need? I mean, do we know what the basic needs are anymore? Isn't it like air? Water, food, shelter. Those are basic needs. Do you have more than your basic needs?
1: But I need, I need, I need, I need.
0: No, we live in a selfish, fleshly, commercial, materialistic society. And if you don't believe that, then you're, your eyes are shut. We spend all of our time watching commercials about someone telling us we need something that we know we don't, but that we got to go out and get anyway. And we're so empty. Listen, if you need a place to take all that whatever that you're wasting on, give it to God. Give it to God. Let God use it to His glory. God's not a stingy God, is He? He's not a stingy God. Listen, and by the way, anybody whose heart he's changed doesn't have a stingy heart. Remember the guy that got forgiveness and couldn't give it? He was forgiven of much but couldn't forgive his brother for little. How many of us, that's us sometimes. We've been given so much, but we can only give a little bit. We, we, we can't give great. We can't give from our need to meet someone else's need. And then lastly today, the miracle teaches us that great things can happen if we just get the need into his hands. The miracle teaches us that great things can happen if we just get the need into his hands. A small amount of bread and fish became sufficient for a multitude Because they got what they had into the master's hands. You know what we need today? We need to take whatever we have, church, and we need to get it in the hands of Jesus. Because when Jesus touches something, it multiplies. It goes further than what it could have gone in our hands. That's what we're saying. God, I'm giving because I want what I have to go further than what it could go if it was in my hands. I'm releasing it into your hands. I'm entrusting it with what you have to do with it. How do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us that we do that through the local New Testament church. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to give. The Bible tells us we're supposed to give. Hey, lay by in stores. God has prospered you. Upon the first day of the week when you gather, let there be no offerings when I come, but upon the first day of the week when you gather, make sure you give. Make sure you give. Hey, upon the first day of the week, here we are, church. He's called us when we gather to give. Giving is not something we just do traditionally. Giving something is something that we do because it's biblical. It's something that we do. It's how God meets the needs of others. It's how he supplies the needs. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.